our side, you're actually coming, I believe, right? Coming through a mic. It's coming through this mic here, right? Mm-mm, no, we're, so we have it just running through the focus. Oh, uh, we just heard it. Okay. Yeah, we we uh, we cut the mic out. We got, we got above our skis, uh, to say the least. <laughs> we have uh, Karen's fourteen-year-old uh, son now. Uh, he came into the office last week and set some of this stuff up, and then two college graduates, myself, one of them, uh, we tried to set this up yesterday, and we couldn't figure out how to set up the damn thing, and it was the most frustrating thing ever. I was like, I have an engineering degree, like I was like, and I cannot figure out how to set up podcast equipment. Like I don't understand it. The fact right. that this kid can do it is so yeah, yeah okay yeah so normally there's a there's a also like it goes through a mic as well but it sounds like that's not on but we can still because you're still on a different channel so that's pretty good we, we should be good to go unless you've got anything you want to add like why don't we kick off sure that yeah. sounds great yeah i think quentin is gonna head this one up so i'm gonna i'll let him uh I'll let him talk and, and sit back a little bit i'm just here to be annoying bill <laughs> I mean, it's basically how we should start this podcast, right? I'm just here to be annoying. And, and keep, uh, me, keep me honest, too. <laughs> right, keep you honest. Keep you on your toes, you know. Yeah. I know you've got a bit of history with me, so that's that's why I'm in the podcast. But uh, Quentin's here to, to get this thing going. So I'll, give you you the go? sig- I'll give you the signal. She's going to pounce. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Bill, I appreciate you being our first guest of the year. You know, this is my first, this is my first recording I've done in a while, and so I'm definitely excited to chat. I don't think we've had the pleasure of meeting before. I know that I met a couple of people from work area at Shop Talk 2019. So, you know, I'm really excited to kind of hear more about you and, you know, kind of just, you know, tell me about work area. Tell me about Bill. Yeah. First of all, I really appreciate you inviting me on the podcast. I know it's been a couple of times back and forth. I I think this is just a great new medium to share content about our space and our industry. So, so first off, just thanks for for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry about the first or second time, whichever one it was. Oh, that's right. So I guess um, I don't know if I should start there. I mean, my my my, uh, my holiday and the, the months leading up to it have been kind of crazy. My home uh, got hit by a tornado. I live in Delaware County, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb of Philadelphia. And I actually just looked it up uh, the other day. Tornado hasn't come through in this form since like the 70s. So it was absolutely crazy. Oh, wow. everyone, everyone was completely safe. We had uh, a lot of damage for the home and a lot of old trees that sadly fell down. So the, the neighborhood looks a lot different, but uh, I've been digging into, you know, contractors and rebuilding and, and all the, all the stuff around that, which is, which has caused some of the, the scheduling issues, but I'm happy to be here now. We're on the was road to the recovery. House at the time? Yeah, it was, it was a, a spooky Halloween night. Uh, it was actually a beautiful night, uh, trick-or-treating with the kids. Uh, I have three kids, two girls and a boy, nine, eight, and six. And it was a, like a beautiful warm night, Halloween night, and we were all in the home. And we got uh, awoken by this, it sounded like a train coming through, kind of shaking the house around 1130 at night. And it lasted less than 10 seconds. Water was coming into the house. I, I ran outside. The kids went down to the basement with my wife. and uh, It was mayhem. Um, everybody was safe in the neighborhood and the whole community. But uh, it was just a surreal evening, and I, I still can't. I uh, believe it actually happened. Such a rare uh, incident. It was a nightmare. <laughs> it was a nightmare, and it was Halloween night too. It was, it, it was just really interesting. So I've been uh, I've been learning a lot about construction. I know I was gonna. Uh, there was a question about hobbies and what I do in my free time, but I, I haven't had any time for that in the last couple of months. So you woke up at eleven thirty, and then what? The tornado kind of hit straight away. No sirens. Yeah. So you got to the basement, but you yeah, weren't so... in the basement, and the tornado hit your house. So. By the time we were up and about and, you know, getting our kids out of their rooms, I'm pretty sure the tornado had already passed us. We didn't have any warning or anything. My wife, Stephanie, 
got the, you know, the Apple warning notification on her phone when she was in the basement about a minute later. I probably should have gone to the basement, but I was uh, kind of running around assessing. I have, you know, a grill outside, a propane grill that got knocked over. So I was worried about gas leaking. I uh, turned off the, you know, the circuit breaker in the house. I wanted to make sure that there wasn't anything on the roof and that we were, you know, the, the fire alarm was going off in the house. So I wanted to make sure that there wasn't, you know, more issues. Um, we actually I'm ended super up... Super parent there. <laughs> we, we actually ended up going over to uh, one of my neighbors. They, they hosted us because uh, I couldn't figure out the alarm system. There was a, the fire alarm I couldn't turn off um, in the house. But uh, on the plus side, you know, there were a lot of negative, negative things uh, to it. And, you know, my kids are fine and such a quick experience. They weren't necessarily, they weren't, you know, emotionally hurt by it. But um, on the plus side, the neighborhood has really, really come together. I've gotten to meet a lot of new neighbors and friends. And actually this last weekend we had a, a or tornado themed victims party that, uh, that we, uh, we had in the neighborhood that we all kind of shared stories from that night. It's been a big effort. Long, long story to kick off an e-commerce podcast, but. Well, you probably had like one tree in your yard you didn't really like. So let's just hope that that was the one that got knocked down, not all the ones you did like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, so I, tell tell us uh, tell us what you do besides uh, uh, amateur storm chasing and <laughs> sounds like amateur carpentry as well. So tell us yeah. you know, tell us about work area. I, I am so excited to hear more about work area from you. Yeah, I appreciate it. So I am the VP of marketing at uh, work area here, and we have a really unique and interesting story. And I guess I'll, I'll, I'll start with that story and then get a little bit into my experience. Um, I I joined uh, the company a little over three years ago. And at the time, uh, we were a more of a an agency with a platform than a a software company. At the time, we went by Weblink. We were a, a combination software platform for e-commerce. We had the, the Weblink commerce platform, uh, and we had a really great agency division that did everything from creative to e-commerce strategy to UX design, front end development. And then we did our own implementations of the platform. When I joined, there was a real push to focus on the platform side of our business and to really make that full pivot to a software company. And as I'm sure you know, and I, I think some other companies share this history, I, I know Magento started it way back in the day as Varian as, a, as an agency. There's a lot of major milestones that you have to go through as a business to make that oh, a reality. Yeah. So. We've been working on that pretty diligently over the last three years, and you know everything from you know building a partner organization to we relaunched the name of the the, the platform as Work Area. To and that was um, what two years ago? It was yeah February 2017, mm. um, and it represented a, a brand new sort of stack of the platform as well. So it's the current current version that I'll talk a little bit about. And also, uh, you know, changing our messaging. As an agency, you really focus, you know, very closely on the specific business, and, and you consult uh, with a, you know, with your prospects. But as a software company, we we're trying to scale this thing and get work area into the hands as, of many people who it makes sense to use it. So it's been. And have you guys always been Philly based? We have been, yeah. So uh, we're based in Old City, Philadelphia. Um, I'm actually in the, the the headquarters office right now. It's a historical building, and I am looking out a window, and we're adjacent to where Ben Franklin's original home was. There's a monument, so um, we're a couple blocks away from the Liberty Bell. It's it's a great place to work. Oh wow! And, Sounds like uh, a solid solid little neighborhood to be in. 
Yeah. I know that. Good... So I know, I know work area through Bart from sumo heavy. Cause he always told me, he was like, Hey, if you ever need to know these guys, he's like, they're my neighbors or you I'm right above them. And so it seems like you guys have had a relationship for a while, right? Yeah. There's been a really tight knit tech and commerce community here uh, in old city. Um, and it's actually growing. So um, I know Bart very well. And, and the sumo guys, uh, we have, obviously there's a story with BBXL. They have an office here now. They, um, actually acquired our agency business uh, last year to augment their work area practice, but also to so that we could focus as a software company, which is a, a great transaction. They're um, one of our strongest partners. They have an office in Center City, which is more of the downtown area. Absolutely, and I do want to I want to dig into that separately. Yeah. So, so let's talk about work area as a product. So you know, tell me about it. Like, what's the stack? What's your market? Tell me about. Let's start from the top. So a couple main tenants of the work area platform. So number one, it's an e-commerce platform. So we have, you know, great, very deep, robust functionality around your cart, your catalog, your promotions, your pricing, your checkout, et cetera. Number two, and from, from day one, content management was incredibly important. So we have native built-in content, the ability to manage assets, the ability to manage navigation and pages on, on the experience. Number three is built-in site search. We embed Elasticsearch and we do a lot of really interesting things beyond just the, the search bar that our merchants, e-commerce customers use. We use search across the platform for merchandising, for other types of sorting and logic in the system. And then sort of the fourth pillar is merchant insights. So we collect a lot of data from our merchants, customers, and users. We process that and feedback business insights to the admin users so that they can make really intelligent decisions around merchandising, around campaigns, around the different pricing and promotions and choices that they That's like buying yeah. trends and things yeah, like absolutely. that. Like, hey, people are clicking this, move the, move the yeah, stuff there. Products okay. that are trending or these, pro uh, these are search terms that are converting low. Maybe you should look into them and, and, and you know, create a search configuration. These are content pages that have good conversions or low conversions, all different types of really meaningful reports that, you know, obviously there's a reports and dashboard view, but we've designed the admin system with a real focus on merchant business user productivity. So what we do with these insights is we embed them in line with the work that the person's doing. We call them inline insights. So you can imagine during a merchandising task where you're actually making the decision around what products to include in your new category, mm -hmm. we have uh, spark lines and small notations that nudge the user in the right direction, mixing sort of their curation with the data behind it to make the best decision. Are you pulling information across all of the merchants that are on your platform in order to determine this, or is it is it merchant specific in terms of those insights? This is this is merchant specific insights, so they're very detailed to the business of our specific customer. So your view would be that eventually you either, I suppose, move into an AI kind of scenario with these. Is that something that's on on your radar where, you know, it's it's almost, you know, is it AML, you know, I think it's debatable. You know, is it self-learning or it can actually take this intelligence and use it and apply that and yeah. and self-manage some of, some of, you know, how it's displaying products and the like and when it's displaying them? In some cases, we're actually already there. So we have a concept called content blocks, which is part of our content management system. It's very similar to a lot of other commerce platforms, but it's more natively built in work area. 
and some of those content blocks can be set up to be driven by our insights engine. So as an example, trending products or like some of the examples I mentioned, products that are hot right now or uh, high conversion products or even products that are being viewed a lot that should be that should be selling but for some reason aren't, you can identify those and almost automate the presentation of that content on the front end. It's a pretty great system. That's really interesting. It, it reminds me of, and the parallel I'm drawing here is just because of the platform I know a little bit more about, but it kind of sounds like, so Salesforce Commerce Cloud has their Einstein, which is kind of that drag and drop. So you can like drop it into the CMS and it help kind of recommend or reference other things. So it sounds like you guys have a very similar engine to that. Yeah, it's, it's very similar. I'm not super familiar with how Einstein works in their tool, but it's along the same lines. And again, it's both for the benefit of the end consumer you know, really towards the end of making the merchandiser and the marketer uh, that much smarter. And in some cases, you want to just sort of augment their knowledge so that they can either take that suggestion or, you know, change their mind and make a different type of, of merchandising decision or marketing decision through through our admin. So it sounds like you guys have a lot of these, you know, different sort of, you know, these value ads and these add-ons, but what's, what's the one that makes you, like, what's your target market you're going for and what's the hook for those customers? Yeah, so... You know, the, the typical way that I think, you know, those of us in our industry talk about how to segment the market is by revenue bands and, and other sort of industry segments. Just to give you an idea of that to start, you know, we have uh, merchants doing, you know, upwards of, you know, $200 million across all their channels and then all the way down to, you know, in the tens of millions a year mm-hmm. through a platform. So it's a pretty wide range. We are increasing sort of the size and complexity of merchants that we bring onto the platform as we become better known in the market. But in terms of the profile of a perfect work area merchant, it really has to do with a business that values technology. And um, and I know this sounds really cliche, but is really serious about innovating within commerce at the experience level and really serious about doing something unique to beat out their competition. So there's a couple different ways that would translate to work area being a great fit for that. Kind of my simple way of, of seeing the space, and I'm, I'm by no means sort of an, an expert sort of on the merchant strategy side. Today, there's really, I think of sort of two dimensions that a merchant can differentiate for their customers. I think there's the emotional dimension, which is the brand and the story and mm-hmm. sort of that intangible value that they add on top of the product or service that they sell. And then the second dimension is the experience or the service they provide, right? So is it quicker? Are they doing some kind of unique subscription model or what functionality are they offering customers in a unique way? And where work area fits, if you kind of think of those two axes, we fit really where, where merchants care either a lot about one of those two things or ideally um, both of those two things. So they, they really care about creating a, a merchant or a retail or a brand business and have their team think like content publishers. A lot of our merchants are using our content management and publishing system to put out daily content, like really rich content to, to drive uh, interaction and repeat uh, behavior on their, on their sites. And then the flexibility of the, of the technology on the other axis really supports merchants who have and want to test new ideas. Mm-hmm. So, um, on the technology stack side, we're a Ruby on Rails, a MongoDB, which is a NoSQL database, super flexible. I talked about Elasticsearch, which is, an, is sort of an embedded part of the platform. 
and we provide a merchant dedicated auto scaling cloud. So we kind of fit in this situation where we provide the business a software as a service like experience with a vendor, but for those merchants of ours who want to get into the technology, they have their own sort of private auto scaling cloud that we offer them. And we can provide multiple different levels of access for them to either through their partner or in some cases, uh, their own team, build new innovations on top of work area for their customers. That's interesting. Definitely one of the things to call out that you mentioned before that as you were describing kind of the experience and what you're talking about, I, I thought of the Lonely Planet, which I know is a work area customer, correct? That's correct. Yeah. So I, I thought of, you know, the site, you know, it's a beautiful site. You know, I'm a, I like to travel a lot. I got one of the Lonely Planet books for Christmas. And so it, it kind of does tell that journey of, you know, when you go to like Barnes and Noble or you go, you're, I'm always excited to get the books. It's like the first step. Yeah. to, you know, my trip, you know, I'm going to go to Peru. I'm going to go buy my book of The Lonely Planet in Peru. It's interesting that you guys, you know, kind of captured that same sort of feeling of like, hey, I have to go find this book. Because to me, that's just as, you know, as fun as or important as like, you know, getting ready to go to the airport. So I, I, the the way that you guys use kind of the CMS to do that is really interesting. Like the content of it, you know, it's rich. It's it, I like the way it was presented. It was definitely interesting. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, we always, you know, in our industry talk about the value of commerce and content together. And I think, I'm a big believer in that, right? It's it's one of the the great ways a brand can differentiate their experience through that content. It's it's the, one of the reasons why we fairly boldly took on the additional scope to say we're going to make a flexible platform, but we believe that content is so important and the value of that being integrated into a single system so that you can relate it with products and categories and all of your traditionally commerce type of admin stuff, right? Mm -hmm. In the publishing workflows so that a merchant team doesn't have to think about my CMS and then my con you know, my commerce platform over here. They can just think about what do I need to launch on my site this week? How am I building up this campaign? I think that was a really smart choice a few years back when that team built our product and it and it fits well with a certain type of merchant who who values that. On the other side of things, I talked about sort of in innovation. Um, another Really fantastic customer use case is a company called Reformation. They're based in LA. They are a women's sustainable fast fashion apparel manufacturer. They they have you know dresses and and women's apparel. They use us for e-commerce. They have a team there, a technology team that has been trained up to use work, and they've started rolling out brick and mortar Reformation retail stores that are all powered on the Work Area API. So they have about six or seven specific store associate applications, as well as a consumer touchscreen that really reimagines what a retail experience is from the consumer as well as the store associate experience. And interesting, I think this is where, when we get into talking about headless commerce and some of those different architectural decisions, this is where it makes great sense, sort of in the headless retail scenario where everything's driven by APIs and, you know, devices that are different than a web browser on a phone or, you know, or a desktop computer. So just, just understanding the timeline around this bill. So you've been around for a few years, right? And is that as a, a full commerce product or, or has that been a slow build out? You know, you've made work area open source, right? And there's an open source version of it. So can you just talk to that timeline so just we can understand that in terms of maturity of the platform and then types of merchants and where you're helping them? That's a great question. So we launched the work area brand and current platform, and I believe it was February of 2017. But at that time, our business was still this 
combined software company and we had a fantastic agency and implementation team that did the majority of our builds. We had a few uh, solutions integration partners at that time. It was a challenging situation where a lot of our prospects and customers wanted a company that built the platform to help them integrate it and implement it and support it, which, which makes absolute sense. So fast forward to this summer, I would say that this summer really represents our first chapter as a purely focused software company. And there were two major changes that made that really, that chapter, I guess, begin in terms of our business pivot. One of our great partners at the time, a company called Brand Value Accelerator or BBXL, they're a very strong commerce-focused agency, had a small work area practice. Um, they ended up acquiring the WebLink and work area implementation team. So that did a number of things that really enhanced their ability to deliver for their customers, but it also removed any sort of perceived conflicts around our platform and the other partners that were also trained up and going to market with us to, to implement. That's number one. We became a pure software company without uh, a large implementation. Did you fully take away the service element? So we have a small professional services team that does training and support for our partners and customers, but we no longer do any uh, full implementations and, and integrations and builds for our customers. Got it. We have a growing and great list of quite experienced SIs who support our customers and do new projects now, which is, which yeah. is great. So you're, you're focused on growing that ecosystem. I mean, much, much like most SaaS companies would do, right? Yeah. Shortly after that timeline, you know, the executive team, we kind of, we, we had a lot, we do a lot of strategy and planning sessions and we're like, okay, we're a software company now and we're in a very competitive market with some major players. We believe in what we have. There's been some validation from our customers and partners you know, we can continue on this path, but, you know, what do we really want? And how does that align with what we believe, you know, in value as a company? And through a lot of discussions and research, it was actually a fairly quick process, but at the time it seemed like a very involved process. But we made the decision that the best way to grow community and value around this platform is to focus on community. And what are some of the things you're doing to, to focus on that? So um, obviously the, one of the biggest things is to, we, you know, we released the work area commerce platform to github so you know anyone can go and download it and contribute and in some senses you know scrutinize you know our product team is, is held to a, a different more open standard now so that's been exciting we believe that the community is going to grow from the inside out and since we became a pure software company we're really focused on going above and beyond what we believe other other companies can do in terms of creating just a fantastic partnership relationship, treating them as an extension of our company, making sure that they're able to, to service our customers, making sure that they're trained and, and can do you know, innovative and, and, and proper things on the platform that are supported. Absolutely. And to go back to that open source thing, that's that, I mean, that's a pretty big, pretty big roll of the dice to, you know, kind of open, you know, to open things up like that and to kind of, you know, allow that to happen. Yeah. You know, I think um, I was, I, I was a proponent of the move and the way I think about it and I think it's true is people are buying more than just the code, right? And if you think of source code more like a blueprint mm -hmm. and the analogy I used and I still use, I guess, is uh, Tesla. I believe Tesla open source, or in a sense, um, publishes all their patents, right? These are the blueprints of their technology. But the value that our customers get is, is partnering with us. We have a lot of really innovative things that we do from a cloud infrastructure perspective. And then there's a number of commercialized plugins, if you will. We have a cloud expansion pack that is 
I would say probably less than 5% of the platform, but there's some meaningful things in there, like some B2B and some other unique business model type things that are part of the cloud version of the platform. And since you've launched the open source, have you seen like an uptick? Do you guys have like more, you know, like SIs are obviously the people that you, you know, you want to buy into the platform first and foremost, because they're going to be building the websites since the launch. Have you seen an uptick or, you know, have you seen a lot of people just kind of kicking the tires or what's that, what's that engagement been like? Yeah. So it's been a couple months. It was in September when we announced it, September, 2019. Mm. It's been a really refreshing change. So number one, we, we made sure that we were able to be reached through a number of different channels. Um, you know, we had a lot of internal collaboration tools, but we created an external Slack channel, gotten some, some great questions on there. Some of our partners are doing innovative things with the, uh, the open source system. We've been in conversations with, with a lot of new SIs who, who are just interested in the model. You know, we point them to the quick start guys to get started. I know of a few folks who are starting builds on the open source platform. And that's just because they're sort of former former employees or former, you know, friends and partners and stuff. It's been really great. And I and I I know from the history of other companies that it's not something that is going to blow up overnight. It's something that we'll have to continue to invest in, to continue to support. And frankly, we have to be we have to be solving problems for businesses for this to be uh, something that people go take a look at. You know, one of the things that... So, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, Bill. Just just on the merchant side then, their perception of you, has that changed at all? Because I think, you know, you, you obviously worked at Magento and I, I know you, you know, from there back in the day, yeah. as it were. And one of, one of the problems I think that Magento had was that the fact that it was open source was in some ways being taken seriously, especially from, you know, what we call the mid-market, right? Which it seems to me where you're aiming this product at. Would that be... Be yeah. fair that the mid market is so has making it open source caused you any issues there, or do you think that the merchant engagement is up and they understand that aspect of it as it were? It was a it was definitely a question and concern, but I think you know everything has been positive so far since we since we launched. Mm. Um, you know we're not changing the market that we're pointing at. We're still really committed to the mid-market and the enterprise market. And like I talked about at the beginning of this, of this podcast, you know, really focused on that innovative retailer. We are not trying to go be a great solution for someone who just needs a quick catalog cart and checkout solution, right? Mm-hmm. We believe that the future of enterprise software has a lot of open source as part of that future. We also believe in the future really requiring vendors like us as well as other other buying process to be a lot more transparent than they are now kind of internally committed ourselves to be a very transparent selling organization and and you know my marketing team where you know we have full videos of our demo up and you know we have our whole platform on github i think you'll begin to see transparency and b2b buying be a trend and and, and sort of as the knowledge of the industry grows that's going to become a requirement to to make these frankly, really risky decisions to replatform your business. And, and we really embrace that. If we were going to sort of sum this up in terms of where you're going and how you're marketing it and such like, whereas, you know, you take the likes of Shopify where they're really aiming for simplicity, right? So, you know, the simple part, the simple checkout, let's get you up and running really fast. It seems to me that what you're saying is you're really looking at that greater intelligence layer and that the ability to be able to, to work in the, the mid-market and have a, a more functioning system with greater capabilities 
especially around the CMS side. I mean, is that a is that a fair summary of the differentiator there? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the more sim- simplistic way to look at it is if you have some complexity in your business from both an operational scale or scope perspective, but also if you're a business that wants to do something unique, right? If, if you're a reformation and you want to rethink a retail experience or our customers, the books, they're a, a flower company that sources direct from the farm to the customer. And they had to rethink the checkout experience for subscriptions and relationships and stuff. So if you have a business that doesn't fit into the, the cookie cutter e-commerce best practices um, around just D2C commerce at scale, that's where we're a great fit. And that's also why it's really valuable for those uh, innovative businesses to have access to kick around the tires of work area through GitHub and evaluate it without going through a full dog and pony sales show on our sales team. Absolutely. And one of the things that one of the things that's kind of interesting to talk about, and you know, I, I've seen it heat up more and more in 2019, and it's only going to get hotter. Is you know, kind of headless. So what's what's Work Area's approach on headless? You know, as such a heavy content management system, I think of like you know, big commerce how they had their integration into WordPress, and that was you know kind of their play into that. How are you guys doing that? Yeah. Like, what's the differentiator for you guys there? I guess we're we're head optional. Um, I know there's a lot. Oh, I like that head optional. Head optional, right? So I think. There are use cases, business use cases. At the end of the day, the architecture has to match the business need, right? There are some functional reasons and there's some value add to having a single platform cover the commerce domain as well as the content domain from a data and sort of orchestration perspective, whether or not you use our front end, front end stack or not. Headless side, we have a complete full coverage uh, API. We actually typically have more API coverage than a lot of the headless players out there because uh, it's a complete platform. Where headless makes sense is where you want to support a non-browser experience like the Reformation or like some of our other customers who are thinking outside the browser and we fully support and embrace that. But at the end of the day, sometimes you have a marketing team who wants to rethink a campaign and have a landing page merchandised with a discount and creative, and they want to launch that in a week uh, because an email campaign to that. And you don't want to have to employ a front end team to do that. So um, I think there's a fit for both models. I don't think Work Area is ever going to be forward in our marketing around an architectural approach. We, we want to be you know, really keenly focused on you know, what are we solving for the business. So we do we do participate in that debate, and I think there's a place for headless. But I I did a I did a post before the holiday around kind of jabbing at this whole buzzword headless around mm. heartless, heartless commerce, right? And that's commerce without content management because you know that that's a huge thing as well. I've worked at agencies before before my time here. And, you know, integrating a CMS to a commerce platform for a merchant kind of a tricky thing to do. And what, and if you get it right for your customers, you're not creating a great business user experience to manage that in a non-technical way. So, you know, I, I think we probably align up more towards what Adobe and Magento are trying to do with, uh, you know, some of the rumors around experience manager and, and Magento. That's a perfect segue. Cause I was going to ask you that. Cause it sounds like, you know, and from your website as well, you know, it kind of seems like that's the you know, that's kind of who the cannons are pointing at. Like, this is my comparison. Now, are you comparing Magenta 1? So are you kind of more targeting Magenta 1 customers that know End of Life is coming in 2020? You know, open source to them is something they're used to. Or are you guys, you know, saying, hey, I'm coming for the, I'm coming for the crown. I, we have a, 
you know, we have the same stack up or we want to go after the Adobe experience cloud people or, you know, kind of walk me through that comparison against Magento. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we, we stack up in both of those scenarios. I know the Magento one sort of end of life and transition is probably kind of sort of past its, its peak. That was, you know, in the early days, a driver of some interest. You know, I think more broadly, I think the comparisons that we do are around you know, Adobe's, you know, commerce, their, their, you know, their full enterprise edition. The one uh, kind of unique difference that I want to make sure is very clear I mean, is that we're not running sort of two parallel products. You know, we don't have work area enterprise and work area open source or work area community. We're treating this as a true commercial open core platform. Right. So similar to MariaDB or, um, you know, Elasticsearch as an example, right? Our product team is committed to running that project on GitHub as, as the core platform that drives our cloud. It is available to download and, and get going on your own and host on your own. But there's not sort of that fork in the road there where we're holding back major, you know, critical functionality across the two. I know we saw it with Mozu, I think is a good case in point where you probably know there's a fair amount of people went from Mozu over to Magento, right? Volusion, right? But we, we saw there some issues around, you can build a great platform, but if you don't get the partners in place that things may not fly. Are you guys like looking at that? I mean, I, I'm especially interested, I suppose, you know, we're, we're a technology partner. What are you doing in order to engage that ecosystem? And, you know, from my own experiences with Shipper HQ, there's been times where I thought about, Quentin would probably be really shocked by this, but there's been times where I thought about open sourcing it. But I also know that in order to open source a piece of software, you really have to think about all of the integration points and, and consider that partner ecosystem that's going to then start coming in. You're in, in the marketing side and the product side, but architecturally that can be quite difficult challenges in order to, get on top of to suddenly enable this yeah. this uh, ecosystem to start extending adapting your software interesting to understand you know what what your plans are around it or do you see it as you'll still have pretty pretty strong control from that and really the reasons for open sourcing are more aimed at you know adoption and the the SIs having you know some some flexibility as opposed to quite large flexibility and extensibility that you see in the Magento platform, for instance. Yeah, that's a great question. So the the technology integrations around work area are a huge focus of of growing our our impact and our value for our customers and our network. So I won't get super technical because I can't because I can't anymore. But the the platform is extremely modular in how it's written. We use a plugin system. I think Ruby on Rails, I think that I believe they're called Rails engines, really facilitate the separation of these modules. And, and that's how a lot of our integration plugins are built and ported. We had a, a integration and plugin team as part of our product team, and we still do. But since the open source announcement and uh, opening that up, some of our partners have been starting to build integrations to third-party technologies and we've the conversations with new uh, potential third-party integrations have been a lot easier to, to get those conversations around integration going with the open source there's something that can be quickly tested and evaluated on the system if you go into github work area is much more than i'm sure 20 or so i mean there's there's a ton the whole system is combined of a, a whole number of different modules that work together and it's extremely flexible to plug in different integrations along those lines. So it's a big part of how we can, you know, grow this this community because, you know, integration work to any commerce platform is a huge part of 
of how that platform needs to work within a large, uh, large complex business. Cool. So do you plan to have a marketplace then? That's something that we've talked about. We don't have any direct plans, you know, in the sense of plugging those, those in directly, but we are making small enhancements to our admin to make mm. it easier to configure plugins uh, within our admin. But it's definitely something that we are, you know, having early conversations and thinking about how we could support that type of marketplace. But we're, we're still very early days. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like one of those things, like it's a little bit chicken and egg, right? Like, so you're trying to get adoption, merchants, SIs, the tech partners, and and that's the, the difficult kind of tightrope that you've got to walk as a company. And I don't think that's any different to any other companies out there that have I've also had that challenge and come out the other side of it, right? So yeah, absolutely. I wish you wish you luck in that. I will say, uh, ShipperHQ actually has a Ruby on Rails front end. We've really you know enjoyed using it, and I think over the years there's been some questions about we switch and we're using Node, and we've certainly been using Node for some things. But um, just from a technology standpoint, I think that Rails is is showing its strength. Some people were definitely questioning whether or not Rails would slowly go away, and and that's not the case. And you know, so it's, so it's good to see another Rails solution out there. I know uh, you must have come across Spree, right, which is another e-commerce yeah. platform written yeah. in Ruby on Rails. That, and, yeah. yeah, and I think it's, is it Blue Apron or somebody like that used to be on there? I don't know if they still are, but it, they definitely had a few big wins, but they, they suffered from this problem of being the agency as well. Yeah, yeah the adoption there, you know, in, in general with, with Rails technology, as a technologist will say, it's, it's a great framework and ultimately language with Ruby to, to be working on. So yeah, that, that's who does for you guys? I used to actually be a developer early in my career, and I've I've taken a couple of those online Code Academy courses on Rails since I've oh, been really? there just just to kind of familiarize myself with some of the stuff. And it, it is a really, really kind of elegant program. Well, it's something to play on, to be honest, because I don't know if you're aware like, of DHH, the, the founder, yeah. but he's been making a lot of news lately. And, you know, some of his views, um, he was, you know, talking before New Year about work-life balance and the different ways of working. I think, I think, you know, that's that whole thing about people getting involved with stuff emotionally and, and keying into that and then wanting to be involved in the ecosystem. And I've been to a few Rails conferences and personally will say that that community is unmatched. And I would argue, and this is a, a strong thing to say, that actually the Rails community is stronger than the Magento community. A lot, a lot of people will, will... Yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, a lot of people may disagree with me on that. In fact, me and you went... Uh, yeah, we went to... That's the, I've only gone to one coding conference in my entire life, and it was RailsConf, and I think it's kind of set the bar for conferences for me. I'll have to, I'll have to ping you offline around some of the things because we, you know, as part of growing this community, you know, developers are sort of a new, frankly, kind of target marketing person. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you want to go after that developer thing, I mean... I would definitely get a, a couple of your guys along to Rails Conference to scope that out. And do you honestly think that Rails went through a, a touchy patch, but since they've been doing work around the headless side and really got that working properly so that you could put React and stuff on the front end? Because I think they, there were definitely some problems around the view. So, you know, think of a, you, you got some technical chops yeah. with the model view controller side. There were some issues around that front end side. They got to grips with those a couple of years ago and, and we've been, you know, switching over to some of their new stuff and it, it's fantastic. And I think... They've they've reinvigorated the ecosystem, and also the ecosystem's got a little bored of I won't say bored of Node. It's the wrong word, but I will say bored of Node. Like Node is you know they're kind of jaded. There's there's new fancy tools out there. Yeah, there's something shiny in the corner of your eye. These things are great when you first look at them. It's whether or not they can actually still work two years later. And I think 
in a way that's is some of what you're describing about what you're doing is about serving merchants you know it's not just a new shiny object right it's about serving them in the future with you know something that's got some real substance to it that that's important and i think rouse rouse is that one and one of the other things too beyond rails that i hear from our partner developers and you know when i interview folks who have just been trained on work area is how mongodb fits into commerce and how you know as com- as compared to other platforms that kind of require you to think through your data schema you know, build out a table or update an XML file, you know, to, to hold uh, an attribute. I've heard that, you know, developers really love working in, in MongoDB and being able to just throw unstructured data uh, in, into that system in a way that you couldn't tech, you know, necessarily do with a SQL database. And I don't know any other e-commerce platform that's doing that. So it's just MongoDB. Just, we, we use MongoDB and we use Redis for some stuff. Right. Storage. And then we actually use Elasticsearch obviously for, you know, the search bar, but we do a lot of really sort of, you know, pretty smart storage in Elasticsearch as well. It's a really great sort of query system. That's pretty cool. Well, we're nearly at the end. I think, so I just look in because we've got this sheet of questions. There's a question on here that Karen's staring at that I don't think she has any idea what it means. And it says, (laughs) Eagles fan, fly Eagles fly with a question mark. Oh my goodness. Based out of Philly, are you an Eagles fan? And if you are, I'm sorry. You know, I, I don't know if it's safe for me to, to answer this question. <laughs> Let me just say that I was born in New England. Okay, I know this one. Who, okay, hold on. Time out. Stop, Bill. Who's who, What's the mascot? I know this. I think they're called the Patriots. I think so. I think <laughs> I'm no, so impressed. I don't I don't necessarily okay. want to talk about the Patriots either right now. Okay. I, so I, I, you won six Super Bowls, man. You got to <laughs> no, get they over They lost it. in the playoffs. They did. First well, round, like, right? First round? Yeah. Wild there card. We go. That was a tough, tough one to see. But um, I've actually been really into another football, soccer. I'm, I'm a, I've become a really big MLS fan. And I know that Austin is getting a new expansion. Austin FC. And uh, Was that Manchester United? You said that. <laughs> I, I believe you both, both live in Austin, correct? Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're at HQ's down in Austin. Yeah. We're excited. I mean, we, we were going to try to get the Columbus, uh, the Columbus crew from Columbus, Ohio. And I was very excited about that because uh, an ex-merchant of ours, who's become a good friend, Chelsea, uh, we went to Columbus and I was so happy to try to steal their team to the point where I almost got kicked out of the office she worked at because I was speaking blasphemous words of move to Austin. <laughs> well, I am, um, interestingly, I am a San Jose Earthquakes fan. My, my cousin, Andrew, Andrew Tarbell plays goalkeeper for them. So oh, sweet. Um, That's pretty nice. Yeah. It's, it's well, wel- not- welcome to uh, football that actually involves your foot. Exactly. I really appreciate it. Exactly. I can I can skirt the question about the Eagles and the Patri- <laughs> Patriots. Well, yeah. No, well, what's interesting is my, my, my oldest son has just gone to high school and joined the marching band, and I saw my first football, American football match a few couple of, I think it was a couple of months ago. Yeah. So I've started swinging towards American football. So it's a fun sport. We talked about it this morning. Well, yeah, but this is, I've lived in the country nearly seven years and it, I'm only two months into swinging. But I, I used to live in Ohio. So I will say that I always religiously support Ohio State, even after leaving, because yeah. I knew it was more than my life was worth not to support like, the other one. Yeah, wherever possible, wear a red t shirt, I think, <laughs> in business, life, in the village, the whole lot. Yeah. So in Austin, I feel like it's a little bit more diluted around that. I can get away with saying I'm not, uh, you know, like in Ohio, you have to go, I am an Ohio state. Otherwise, get out of the state. But in Austin, we just assume you're a Longhorns fan. It's just like, just it's a default. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. We yeah. don't have a pro team here, so that's the thing. Since we don't have pro teams, they just assume everyone's a Longhorns fan. Okay. Right. Got it. That's right. Well, yeah, you know, Bill, I really appreciate it. What's the best place for people to find WorkArea? WorkArea.com? Do you have a Twitter? What's your MySpace handle? <laughs> yeah, you know, WorkArea.com is a great place to start. You know, we have we have a full presentation demo there. We have a recording on our site of our demo. If people want to just sit down and watch one of our senior solution engineers give a full demo of the platform. Uh, we have a developer page with access to our Slack community. You can get right into GitHub. That's awesome. Uh, we're, we're putting out videos, quick start videos. I mean, we have a really nice Docker script where you can get running locally Ooh. in 20 minutes, right? So if you want to uh, kick the tires on work area and, and play around with the admin and see, see what we're talking about, that's a great place to start if you're a little technical. That's pretty cool. And are you doing any e-commerce shows this year? Are you doing Shop Talk or IRCE? Yeah, we'll, we'll be at those shows. We're not doing any any big exhibits this year, but we'll probably be doing um, a number of different events with our partners. And I, I typically go to all the shows and we'll stay in touch and hopefully we can... Uh... Absolutely. Well, I'll see you at Shop Talk for sure. We have a booth. I should know the number of it, but I don't. Um, I'll see you there. If you know... Well, there's only women allowed at Shop Talk, so you two can't go. I, I tried. I, I tried not to go. I, I tried very hard. I still think it's a great idea. But no, Shop Talk will be a really good event. We're, we're excited. This is the first year we're going to sponsor... We've, we've always gone to walk the halls and done some of the, the meetings. And I, that's where I ran into some of the work area team. So, yeah, you know, uh, Bill, once again, you know, thank you from behalf of Shipper HQ, Karen and I, for coming on Commerce Party. Uh, yeah. Yeah, thanks right. very much. And uh, good luck with the uh, construction and the uh, the parties in Philly around the tornadoes. And uh, Oh, I appreciate it. And, and thanks yeah. again. It was great talking with you. I love the podcast. Yeah, I look forward to, uh, to hearing more from you guys and, and seeing you out at the shows. Awesome. Cool. Sounds good. Have a good one, Bill. Yeah, take, take care. Bye. Bye.